0: We are experiencing a real crisis with levels of violence directed towards law enforcement in America. It is unlike anything I've seen in my 36 years of law enforcement. Today we're joined by Indianapolis Fraternal Order Police President Rick Schneider to discuss the rise of violence against law enforcement officers and what is fueling the crime crisis we're seeing in cities all across America. I'm Patrick Yost, National President of Fraternal Order Police and this is The Blue View. Rick, thanks for joining us on, uh, on the Blue View, uh, we're going to talk about a very important topic today. But uh, for our viewers, could you tell a little, tell everyone a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, I have about 26 years of law enforcement experience here in Indiana, in our capital city, in the Central Indiana region, and uh, I've served as our local Indianapolis FOP president now uh, for eight years. I uh, was just recently reelected for uh, two more, and I've uh, spent many more years on our executive board here. Uh, I've worked in just about every area of law enforcement, and one thing that I can say is that I see that uh, there are many bigger issues that we face, um, and police are not our problem. And I think that uh, our FOP, our Fraternal Order of Police, is doing a good job of pointing to those issues and bringing attention to them.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, you know, and congratulations on your re-election, by the way. Uh, well, well-deserved. You're, you're definitely you. a very strong leader and a very strong advocate for for our profession in uh, Indianapolis, and I thank you for that. So, Rick, let's let's just dive into it. Let's just call it what it is. This is a very dangerous time for law enforcement. Uh, there are over 290 yeah. officers so far this year are shot. Over 55 officers have been killed by gunfire this year. Uh, over 100 officers have been shot in over 70 different ambush uh, attacks on law enforcement officers. Uh, officers have shot shootings of law enforcement officers are up 37% from 2018. And the amount of officers being yeah. killed since 2018 is 22% increase. Is, is this is we are definitely experiencing a, a real crisis in law enforcement there's got there's a number of factors you, you mentioned that there are a lot of things uh, we need to work on uh, and police not, isn't necessarily uh the, the main focus of where we are Let, let's let's unpack that a little bit let's talk about where we are in society why is law enforcement being attacked at such a higher rate uh, give me your perspective
1: well I think first and foremost those' those numbers that you just cited are stunning that's the first that I've heard from the 2018. I think you said a 37% increase in the number of officers shot. That's unbelievable. And, and here's what I think that shows is a couple of things. Number one is your police are doing their job. The reason why your police are being attacked, the reason why your police are being shot, the reason why police unfortunately are losing their lives and service to their communities is because they're out there faithfully standing the line in the middle of all the chaos that we're seeing in our communities. What it also highlights and shows is this, is that when you overlay the number of officers being attacked, critically injured, killed in the line of duty. The other thing that you're also finding is you overlay that with what we're seeing in terms of crime, crime spikes, and specifically crime revolving around around non-fatal shootings, stabbings, and homicides in the major cities across our country. And what we're seeing is a consistency. Now, I'm quick to point out the correlation doesn't equal causation, but I think it's safe to say over the last four plus years of analysis that we can, we can pretty well show that there is a correlation between the revolving door of criminal justice, the implementation of so-called reforms such as bail reform and quasi criminal justice reform are contributing to these issues. What do we mean by that? We have a revolving door, uh, which you heard me say outside the White House in 2019. We have progressive DAs and prosecutors and rogue justices, judges, who are creating an environment where we're decriminalizing the criminals at the same time we're depolicing the police. It's a recipe for disaster. We were warning of it then because we knew what was over the horizon. We could see it and hell was coming with it. And what we saw was we knew in 2020, many major cities were going to fully implement um, going to cashless bail bond systems or low or no bond for not just criminal offenders, but repeat violent offenders. And uh, those took place, and many of them were implemented in 2020, this experiment, if you will, and we've now borne the consequences of that with increased levels of crime, increased levels of violence, and not just violence upon our fellow neighbors, but that directed at our officers as well.
0: Well, I'd, I'd argue that it's a failed experiment. Uh, and we uh, no certainly, you know, look, there's empirical data to show. Uh, there are a number of cities that have sort of reversing course on on a lot of these uh, uh, this this path that has has created an increase in crime. Look, anyone who's in law enforcement knows that uh, that the vast majority of crime is committed by a very small percentage. violent offenders when we take those violent offenders off the street what we do is we impact the uh you know know, we lessen the amount of crime within a community and 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 people that are preyed on within those communities we're not seeing that we're seeing that revolving door where where uh, those very people are back only to reoffend and and there are a number of examples of just that where people that law enforcement has taken off the street where they should they should not be all right, put taking them out of the, you know, put them in the system only for the system to allow them to go back and continue to offend, and you have some examples of that in Indianapolis alone. And Indianapolis, unfortunately, yeah. is not the only city, but uh, they're, but, but talk a little bit about about the, the the tragedy that has happened in in your city.
1: Yeah, well, in 2021, we were one of the other. 12 to 16 other major cities who set all-time records for levels of homicide. In Indianapolis, we have a little over a million population. Um, We, uh, as IMPD, we service 372 square miles. We're a little unique because our city is our county, our county is the city, so we have an expansive area. But here's what we saw. We saw uh, homicide levels surge and set an all-time historic record for the history of our city Uh, which was 271 homicides last year now that didn't happen in a vacuum and then it didn't suddenly happen we saw a progression to that point of uh, exceeding 200 homicides annually now for the last three years what does it coincide with it coincides with january of 2020 our local community and throughout our state took assertive steps at the direction of our indiana supreme court i might add in what was called criminal rule 26 which was set to start moving our communities toward a cashless bail bond system. Now, here's what we say, Mr. President. Locally, I don't debate, I don't even entertain the debate of a cashless bail bond system or not, because here's what I say, it's a moot issue. Even if you stipulate to moving away from uh, cash bail bond systems, it still inherently means you have to do a risk-based assessment before releasing offenders once they're arrested. Well, what are you going to do in a risk-based assessment? You're going to look at things like prior criminal conviction history. And what we're seeing in Indianapolis is, as we're making this transition, we're not doing either one. We're not uh, holding or fulfilling full-level cash bail bond um, decisions through a matrix. And at the same time, we're not doing a risk-based assessment because we're just cycling repeat criminal, violent criminal offenders right back into our neighborhoods. And our communities are bearing the brunt of it we went from 171 homicides in 2019 to 271 homicides in 2021. In the span of two years, we saw an increase of 100 homicides. That's a 59% increase and there's no signs of it slowing down. Now, what we also have seen in Indianapolis, and this is a key factor in my mind, for the last two years, I've listened to people sometimes violently telling me what lives matter. But when I look in my own city, I see that of this 59% increase in homicides, 271 homicides last year, nearly 75% of those homicide victims are my fellow black neighbors. And I can't find anyone in the media, uh, very few in the neighborhoods, that want to stand with us and point to that and say that cannot stand. So what we're seeing across the country, I think it's not just happening in Indianapolis, but across major cities in our nation, is it's the local law enforcement professionals And their representatives through the FOP that are standing for our fellow neighbors and saying enough is enough and when we do that we're seeing that it's only our residents and our officers that are in the neighborhoods 24 hours a day we literally have the most skin in the game that's why we fully appreciate the dangers that we're facing so again when you take these uh, record-setting trends in every major city across our country tell me what else that happens with you don't see that and what happens is it's all tied back to the same issues all roads lead back to progressive da's and prosecutors who are giving sweetheart plea deals who are giving little or no jail time as a part of those plea deals and it's often occurring with repeat violent offenders and what they're doing just like that's happening in indianapolis is they're artificially increasing their conviction rates through bogus sweetheart plea deals that they do where there's no jail time but they get the stat and then they use those to champion their cause and say they are doing a great job, while at the same time, it's the very residents they serve and oftentimes the most marginalized in our societies who suffer the most. And that's why I'm so proud to stand alongside you and the leaders of our FOP and uh, point people to the facts and say facts matter and enough is enough.
0: Yeah, you know, Ricky, you, you, you know, you've said a lot there and you really you really kind of laid it out. It's really where we are right now. Uh, we're in a we're at a time now where there are a lot of people that, that you know with the buzzwords of social reform and all of these things they may sound real good but in in a practical uh, application of what we're doing and and how we're doing it here policing. Law enforcement officers really know our communities far better than anyone else because, as you say, right. we're in those communities every single day. And a lot of these decisions and and uh, actions that have been taken, at least in policy and, and direction you know, over the last couple of years towards law enforcement, have been absent from law enforcement's perspective. Uh, it's been so, it's a social experiment, as you as you stated before. But but it really goes. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to talk about this issue. You talk, it makes perfect sense. what you're saying. But it really doesn't get personal until you start talking about some of the people and some of the incidents and uh, identify right. just, how, just how broken the system is. And you've certainly had your share uh, in, in Indianapolis. Would you like to, to, to kind of yeah. talk about it? two to come to mind. You know, well, the first one, you know, is the shooting, uh, you know, a mass shooting uh, at, at, right. a, at a facility there. And then, and then most recently with the law enforcement officer. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you un- unpack both of those.
1: Yeah, you know, I always I'm always quick to say this. It's not rocket science what we're talking about, but it is criminal justice science. And there is a science behind it that is demonstrably provable that when you retain repeat violent offenders, when they've committed new acts of violence, you will see crime and violence go down. The other thing that it does is it enhances trust and respect amongst the residents we serve and the law enforcement officers who are out there on the front lines. This is why I always say police are not your problem. Because we're doing our job and always tell our fellow neighbors, take a look around. What other government officials do you see standing in your neighborhood at three in the morning when that latest tragedy has occurred? It's only the uniformed law enforcement officers and detectives that are out there. Well, they know that. But what they also see is we make the arrest on the offender only for them to see that offender come right back into the neighborhood, oftentimes looking for vengeance and retribution. And as a result of that, it tears down the trust and respect for the law enforcement officers because they inherently tie that that outcome to the work of the officers where nothing further could be uh, from the truth. I'll give you an example here in Indianapolis. We had the FedEx massacre. It was a mass murder that occurred in our city at a FedEx shipping facility. And what we found out in that, ironically what happened is we had a prosecutor who within, I'm telling you, mere minutes tripped over himself getting in front of television cameras on a national platform and saying that a mass murder like this which involved the use of a firearm was every reason why we needed more gun control laws so he used 13 people being shot eight of which were killed he used their blood to justify his political agenda only to find out again facts matter and what we all know as law enforcement officers is you probably ought to wait for the rest of the story only to find out that this offender, police had interacted with before, they had seized firearms from this offender under what's called the Jake Laird red flag law. I recognize that red flag laws are not popular in many states. However, we have one in Indiana and it's named after Jake Laird, which was a uh, Indianapolis police officer who was gunned down in 2004 in another mass casualty incident and lost his life. With that law, what it allows is for officers to be able to seize firearms when they identify someone who is a threat to themselves or to others, when they have probable cause to do that, just like they would for an arrest, they can seize those firearms, separate them from that individual, and there is due process, quick due process that is available to ensure that somebody doesn't unnecessarily lose their firearms in violation of their constitutional rights there's a balance that is set there, a 14-day window that you have for that to occur. What we had in Indianapolis were police officers who seized weapons from this offender of the FedEx tragedy months before the incident occurred. And our prosecutor later admitted, this would be the same prosecutor who was advocating for gun control laws on national television, later admitted that he had received that red flag filing and never submitted it to the courts. He intentionally sat on it did not file it. And as a result, that offender was able to go and purchase two more long rifles that he subsequently utilized in the FedEx massacre. So it was an unbelievable turn of events that absolutely shows the hypocrisy that is going on in many major cities in our country. Even Dick Durbin, United States Senator from Illinois, who's pretty well known for being a leading gun control advocate, He even publicly said about this progressive prosecutor in Indianapolis that had he used the existing red flag law that was available to him, he believed, Dick Durbin believed, that that FedEx tragedy and those murders would not have occurred and those eight fellow Hoosiers would still be alive. I think it shows what we're talking about. I always say this, remove the politics out of this. This is about people. This is about public safety. It's not about politics. Yet, what do you see with our prosecutors in our major cities? They're using every trick in the book to leverage political agenda at the expense of lives and then even further take those lives lost, turn them and use them for their political benefit. It's a vicious cycle that needs to be broken. Second example, we had an officer who was four weeks out of the training academy. Think about that. He was, with, he was still in his first rotation of, with his field training officer. And they responded to an incident in which a male subject fled. During that foot pursuit, the male subject is alleged to have turned fired rounds at the officers and struck this young rookie officer square in the throat. Now, to his credit, the furthest he went down was to one knee. He popped back up and he stayed in that fight. That suspect was later apprehended. But here's what happened with that officer, an officer by the name of Tommy Mangan, one of the greatest heroes I know, by the way. He was shot in the throat. They told us he was not going to survive. But he did. I stood by him in his intensive care unit, prayed over him, prayed with him, and he continued to progress. Strong man of faith. They said he would never walk again, he would never talk again. He's done both of those things. And when he walked out of the hospital, he didn't point to politics. He walked out of the hospital and he told his wife, When I came in here, I was in my police uniform. When I walk out of here, I want to be in my police uniform. And he did that. There's video that exists of this. And he could have said anything he wanted to. And in that moment, he pointed to his faith in a God that is bigger than himself and bigger than these challenges that we face. And he said, Tommy, meaning himself, Tommy is weak, but God is my strength. And he walked out of that hospital hand in hand with his bride by his side. Now, here's what we found out about that. The tragedy is the suspect who was arrested had been arrested just a month prior for viol- for felonies, which violated the terms of his pro- parole for prior violent crimes. That went before this same prosecutor who saw that he was in violation of his parole with this new arrest. He later publicly acknowledged that he never notified the courts of that parole violation. On top of that, the courts missed it. He was the check and balance in the system, intentionally never notified them of that on two separate occasions. And weeks later, he went on to allegedly shoot our officer in the throat. These are real-world consequences where you see both our fellow neighbors and our officers suffering at the hands of politicians who are making these decisions. So that's why we've got to stand firm, drive the politics out of the situation, and quite frankly, drive those rogue progressive prosecutors and DAs out of our cities. And we're seeing that happening all over the nation through recall votes and elections so we have what I call the ultimate recall uh, that's forthcoming here as we know uh, in November uh, to be able to vote this prosecutor out of office and put someone in there that will partner with police her name is Cindy Carrasco and we're quite confident that that's going to happen
0: Rick if uh, if it's if it's predictable it's preventable and if that's you work it. in if you work in law enforcement, you know that they are again, as I, I restate it, because that's it. Doesn't get any simpler than that. The majority of violent crime is committed by the same people over and over and over. And when we take them that's out right. of the system, we make we we make our community safer. And you've given. And can two, I stress
1: one thing on that, Mr. President? Yes, absolutely. Because sometimes we get challenged on this, and I welcome it because it provides us the opportunity to point back to this: police, and specifically the fraternal order of police. We're not against true criminal justice reforms. We're not against taking low-level offenders who received criminal sentences by courts, not by police, but by courts, that were disproportionate to the crimes they committed. In fact, under your leadership in the Fraternal Order of Police, we stood with then-President Donald Trump when he did the First Step Act, one of the largest steps of criminal justice, true criminal justice reforms in our country. And what we know is that behind the scenes, it was the fraternal order of police that got that over the goal line and got that done. So you can't say that police and specifically the FOP are against criminal justice reforms. We're for them when they're appropriate and when they are true. But we will never, never stand for uh, rogue and progressive political objectives and agendas that come at the expense of the lives of our fellow neighbors that we're sworn to protect and serve.
0: Absolutely, and I couldn't couldn't have said it better. And you're right. Look, uh, the the very powers we have as law enforcement officers, uh, our ability to to you know to possess a, a great deal of authority to do so, but it doesn't come unchecked. It, it comes out of the trust of each one of our communities. Uh, That's right. So so it's that 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 trust is so very so very important for us to be able to to do that, but which makes us partners in making stronger communities. And, uh, and, and and I can tell you through the last two years, especially with all of the, you know, all of the police reform issues and, and reimagining and all of this discussion, fraternal order police has been been right at the table with all of that, recognizing that it's our responsibility as law enforcement officers, as peace officers, to create a better system. There's always a human element. It's all, It's never going to be perfect because of that human element. But that's where, where it's our job to always assess these things and and, and find ways to to be able to improve the system. And that's that's exactly who we are. I don't know. A, I don't know a single law enforcement officer who does not want to improve the criminal justice system and and at the same time the safety and protection within of their communities itself. I'd like to to pull all of this back to where we started, and that is the violence towards law enforcement officers. I mean, we just identified, most people look, one thing that Americans are united right now, a recent poll shows 84% of Americans are united in the fact regardless, and that's every social, economic background, uh, every race, every religion, every, every. One thing we're all united on is our concern in safety because of rising crime across this country. And unfortunately, law enforcement officers are the ones that take the burden of that. We are the, we're the we're the, the easiest to access. We're there. We're we're always uh, available. Uh, and I I, I always uh, kind of refer to it as low hanging fruit uh, on a on a tree of, uh, of failed experiments. And so we tend to take the take the heat for everything. If there's a problem in a community, who are you going to call? You're going to call the police. So somehow we take the burden of whatever whatever you know adverse effects these these calls have to our profession. Which brings us to where we are today. You just uh, you know, just unpacked in just a, a, a brief time some pretty egregious things that happened in your city alone. And it's, unfortunately, right. it's happening in cities all across this country where you've seen people, if it's predictable, it's preventable. We've seen people that are, that are they've already shown their violence, yet we're putting back in to continue to do violence. And we see murder after murder after murder of people. Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy of people who were off the streets and being put back on. This has created this, 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 this I guess, a frustration towards law enforcement.
1: Well, I, I think it's important to remember that law enforcement, especially uniformed law enforcement officers, are the most visible representation of government. So when you have a government that has a series of policy flaws and failures, it's only going to be natural that the ones you see the most representing that government is who you're going to take your frustrations out on. That's why the politicians run and hide and get in their foxhole when everything goes to hell and they leave the uniformed officers standing out there on the skirmish lines in the middle of riots, mayhem, and, and, and uh, tragedy throughout our cities. And, um, but it, it does point back to the fact that it's failed policies, failed politics failures in man that are leading to these issues. And so I just think it's important that we constantly remind our uh, the, the residents and the communities that we serve is, listen, your law enforcement officers love you. That's why we do this job. You don't often hear cops talking about love much, but I think it's important that we do. You wouldn't do this. What we do is abnormal. It's not normal human behavior. As we all know, normal human behavior runs away from the danger, yet it's a uniformed law enforcement officer that's running toward it. Why is that? Well, that can only be explained by a love of something and someone bigger than themselves. And because our officers do that, we want our residents to know we love you and we're not going anywhere. For all this junk, for all the the politicians and, and propagandists who try to Run us out of this profession by mantras like defund the police and demoralizing the police, dehumanizing the police. For all the um, uh, downturn in the retention numbers and the downturn in recruitment numbers, what has happened still in the middle of all of that? It's the American law enforcement officer who has continued to faithfully stand the line. They keep responding to the runs and the calls for service. So we want the residents to know we love you. We're not going anywhere. We just simply ask that you stand with us as we stand the line to take our communities back from the evildoers out in the streets and also in political offices that are helping to conspire and contribute to these issues. I say conspire because We have plenty of documentation. Go and look all across your your nation and your major cities. You have more than ample documentation of politicians conspiring behind closed doors with radical agenda-driven groups talking about these very issues. They're unabashed about it. Go back and highlight it and show it. Because as you said, Mr. President, everyone wants to be safe. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, where you live, or how much money you have. Everyone wants to be safe. And when folks see what has been going on over the last series of years, they'll rise up and they will stand with us to take these communities back. And uh, I just think we have to stay on message with that. And I think nobody has been doing that better than the National Fraternal Order of Police.
0: And Rick, 290 officers have been shot this Hmm. year. 290 officers out in their communities of some 800,000 of us that show up in communities across this country every single day to protect their communities. 290 of them, because of the color of their uniform, have been shot so far this year. True. It's a dangerous time for law enforcement, and it's a dangerous time because of the rhetoric. It's because of the politics. It's because of the dehumanizing. It's because of all of these things over the past few years that have been thrown at the feet of law enforcement, when in reality, reality, really the quality of our community is all part of a wheel that has spokes and you take any part any spoke on that wheel. And, and if it's not, if it's not operating optim optimally law enforcement takes the blame for it. That's right. And when we look at the prosecutors, when we look at our criminal justice system, we look at the court system, law enforcement officers are taking a brunt for it and it's making our jobs, the rhetoric, the, the dehumanizing, the attacks on law enforcement, the, uh, uh these failed experiments that try to blame law enforcement, what's wrong with America, all of this, It's creating a crisis, and law enforcement officers are paying paying for it with their own blood.
1: Well, when you look at those facts and stats, you break that down further. We're averaging an officer being shot in the line of duty. Just being shot doesn't include being stabbed, ran over by cars, struck with hands, clubs, fists, whatever. We're averaging an officer being shot every 25 hours in this nation. We're still averaging an officer laying down their life in the line of duty once every 52 hours. I mean, when people hear those stats it just takes their breath away because we get caught up and it gets lost in all the headlines of the day but as the FOP has done we consistently highlight each of those incidents and keep a running total by month of what these numbers are looking like and, and, and folks say to us um, what can we do well we can tell you the very first steps you can do is to close this revolving door of criminal justice. That's step one, and what that does is one, it prevents the harm and the death and destruction tonight, but at the same time, it also buys us time to look further into what are the true contributing factors specific to each of these incidents. See, it it blows my mind. In Indianapolis, what we said is, let's form a commission on criminal justice outcomes. You want a commission on everything else, let's get a commission that actually focuses on the actual outcomes of our system. You can tell me it's broke. You can tell me it's a racist system. You can tell me that it's flawed, but what I'm saying is, well, then let's look at the outcomes and work backwards off of that and identify where the gaps in the system actually occur. Now, isn't it striking that your prosecutors, your judges, your mayors, your city county none of them ever want to talk about that they never want to identify the outcomes work backwards and identify the gaps why is that because they know that people will find what our officers know which is that your police are not the problem it's the system which is broken and i would add this is just rick's editorial broken by design why because i see it day in and day out intentional decisions being made by highly educated folks who are should be highly seasoned and experienced, who know the propensity for violence that's going to come from the decision they just made. So I ask the question: Why would they do that? Well, what I see is they take it and leverage it for political purposes to further their own agenda at the cost and the expense of not just the lives of our residents and the neighbors we serve, but of the very officers who faithfully stand the line and protection of our communities. And when you see numbers like we've been experiencing that have coincided with the sharp increase in crime and violence within our major cities and across this country, it's no wonder we have these outcomes. Now, here's the final point that I would make. And I say this to my sisters and brothers who may not be working in major cities. Remember, when we talk about 800,000 plus officers, that sounds like a lot until you put it into the context of our true population of over 300 million residents in this country. You're talking about a 0.27% amount of people that are defending and protecting our homeland, our neighborhoods. Think about that. That's, that that's un, it's hard to process that it's so few who are holding the line. What that should remind us is that when you have politicians that are trying to dehumanize those officers, demoralize them, defund them, and run them out of the job, who else is going to stand that line? And that's what I believe that residents are coming to the realization of. They're looking around and they're saying, hey, folks, there's nobody else when the police leave town. When they leave town, I'm leaving with them is what I hear people say because they understand what's at risk. Now, if you don't live or work in a major city and you think, well, that's tragic, but at least that's there. This is what I tell my fellow sisters and brothers in law enforcement. Stand by, my friend. It's coming to a neighborhood near you. And what we are seeing now is this crime and violence that's spilling out over into the surrounding communities uh, around our major cities. Why? Because our major city officers can't hold it any longer. We can't hold it back any longer. And that's why you're seeing crimes that many smaller cities and towns have never experienced and are not used to occurring at a very rapid rate because the floodgates have been opened to destabilize by design. Why do we wanna destabilize our communities? Well, your officers don't, that's why we risk our lives. The question that residents need to ask is why do our politicians want to do that? And what are they trying to achieve in that? That's when we really start getting to the heart of the matter. And you'll find every time they will never, politicians will never want to engage in that conversation. That's why our cops and our citizens need to be doing that amongst ourselves.
0: And to some extent also desensitizing. No uh, doubt. Yeah, just it, It's become the norm and it's easy, to, uh, it's, it's easy to look at these numbers and say, yeah, that's, uh, that sounds like a high number, but uh, we often uh, don't stop to think that it's families and people.
1: Can I prove it to you with two other stats that we don't talk about a lot of times? I'll show it on the law enforcement side and on the citizen side. In law enforcement, we're averaging an officer dying in line of duty once every 52 hours. But what we don't talk about is that we have three to four times as many officers dying as a result of their own hand versus that of another. Well, what's driving that? Well, we're destroying oftentimes by design the spirit of the American law enforcement officer. They see what they're doing, what they're willing to risk, and then seeing what the outcomes are. Most of the time, outcomes they cannot control. For all the things they do and all that they risk, they still have other people to come in, undercut them, and death and tragedy results from it. And we see officers dying with rates of blue suicide, the likes of which we've never seen. It's why we've implemented new organizations like Survivors of Blue Suicide. And we're starting to talk about it and pull it out of the shadows of our profession. What are we seeing in our communities amongst our residents? It's not just suffering at the hands of crime and violence, but the complete desensitization and the loss of sanctity of life and the trials that they are facing within our communities. We've seen overdose deaths skyrocket in our country. In our city alone, Indianapolis, the capital city of the state of Indiana, last year we had over eight Hundred overdose deaths. 800 in one city, 800 overdose deaths. Over 80% of those were from fentanyl. So that tells me that our residents we serve have been completely demoralized and broken and are turning to uh, drugs and narcotics and other substances to take away the pain. And at the same time, we're seeing in law enforcement levels of suicide that are surging three to 400% above what those are that are dying in the line of duty i think it clearly highlights the issues at hand and i think it clearly shows that we all we all are experiencing this and that there's there's really no daylight between our officers serving in the neighborhoods and the residents who are living there and we ought to stand together stand up and say enough is enough and take our cities and towns back through elections through civil means and also and also by standing united together and not allowing for the division, the disagreement, the conflict, and ultimately the strike
0: you know Rick uh, I, was, I was just recently came back from the Utah conference, and I was talking to a brother there, and he uh, you know you talk about the the stresses and that's that's a whole another topic i'd love to have you back on yes, we'll talk about the stress of law enforcement officers and and uh you know, just the challenges the law enforcement officers face, and we often think that they're they're somehow superhuman, and these things don't affect them. Uh, but, I, but I had an officer in uh, Utah, who uh, a brother in Utah, who kind of summed it up, and I, I can't help but think and, and keep running it back in my head. He said, "It's he said it's impossible to defend humanity and not lose a little bit of your own." and that's wow. exactly it's exactly what you know it sums it up it doesn't it doesn't uh, get any more powerful than that rick thank you i'm going to leave you with because it's hard to to top what you what you've just uh what you've kind of laid out for us of where we are in society and i want to i want to thank you on two fronts uh i want to thank you for your leadership in Indianapolis Anybody who's watched this podcast knows why you're elected again, uh, going to be, you know, serving your now, uh, what, uh, eight, uh, two more years, eight years, yes. or two more years, or 10 years. Uh, you are a strong advocate for not only the working men and women in Indianapolis, not only the murky working uh, men and women in the United States who pin on a badge, but also for your community itself. itself. Uh, thank you for the hard work you do. And as our national FOP chaplain, I could not be prouder of the work that you do in support of our members in some of the darkest days. And I, 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 you know, I, I, I can't find the right words to say just how appreciative I am of the work that you do. And, uh, and I hear it as I travel across this country. You're touching way more lives than you could possibly, possibly understand. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being a person that you are. And, uh, never let up.
1: It's a, it's a great blessing for, for me. Thank you very much for your trust and confidence in that, Mr. President, and uh, we'll keep staying at it. And uh, I just hope that it's a blessing for all of our officers as well, not for me, but from the one who actually gives it. So thank you for the opportunity, for looking out after the spiritual welfare of our folks, and, uh, and we will continue to stand the line.
0: And thank you, and thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll have you back on and talk about some more of these very, very important issues. And to our viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Blue View, where, where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every single day in communities across this country and protect those that's sworn to serve. Thank you.
1: Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else to you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.